when you go back and read the literal words of the statute, they were doing it wrong and had been doing it wrong all along. That's Jones Day's John Marlin. He's talking about how the U.S. Patent Office's Patent Trial and Appeals Board, or PTAB, was conducting its interpartist review proceedings. Here's more. The legacy of our case could be less about patent law and more about how we ultimately styled our petition to focus on this interplay between the agency and the Congress. That was Dave Cochran, also a Jones Day partner. He's reflecting on the outcome of SAS Institute via Yanku, a U.S. Supreme Court case argued in November 2017 and ultimately decided by the court the following April. It took five years, a dedicated client, thousands of hours of preparation, and compelling and innovative arguments. But the decision in this matter was not only a game-changer for the patent law appeal process, but also raised significant questions about the limits on powers entrusted to federal agencies. Our panel will explain. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks Intellectual Property Law. Welcome to Jones Day Talks. We're speaking today with Dave Cochran and John Marlett. Both Dave and John are Jones Day Intellectual Property Partners. They're in our Cleveland and Chicago offices, respectfully. Also with us is Greg Castanius. Greg is a Jones Day Issues and Appeals Partner. He's based in the firm's Washington, D.C. office. Gentlemen, thanks for being here today. Let's go to Dave Cochran first. SAS Institute v. Iancu. This matter starts back in 2012. Give us some background. Yeah, so as you just noted, the case goes all the way back to the fall of 2012. And it's, it's really interesting. What was happening at that time is the America Invents Act had just become operative. And under the AIA, this new tribunal called the Patent Trial and Appeal Board started operating at the Patent Office. In particular, they started doing this thing called inter partes review, which was basically a way to administratively review the validity of patents. And so this was a new thing at the time. And around the same time, our client, SAS, was sued for patent infringement in Chicago by a company called ComplimentSoft. And so we had collected up some prior art, and we decided that we were going to proceed and file an inter partes review petition, which we did in around March of, of 2013 after the case was filed. And at that time, the IPR process was so new. Nobody understood it. Nobody understood where it was going to go. Nobody knew you know, how hard the PTAB would be on patents. And in particular, we didn't know at that time when we filed that the PTAB would be engaged in this partial institution practice, right. which really became the central dispute in our Supreme Court case. And so just to give you a little background, there's, the PTAB does two things. They have an institution decision. And then they have a final decision. And the institution decision happens relatively early in the process at six months. And then the final decision happens later after they've heard all the evidence and all the briefing and the arguments. And so in our case, about six months later, we got the institution decision and we were surprised that they had done one of these partial institutions where not all of our claims were going to be subject to the proceeding. And in particular, there was, there was this real strange thing that happened where they decided that we could go forward on a claim that was relatively narrow, but we couldn't go forward on a claim that was broad. And, and for patent attorneys, that made no sense whatsoever. It so sounds upside down. Yeah, they had, made a, they had made a mistake of some kind. Yeah. And at the same time, our client, SAS, was not happy with this partial institution because in their view, and, and this was kind of lost on a lot of people during the whole process, but you know, in SAS's view, the IPR process should be a complete substitute for the validity part of the district court case that had been filed in Chicago. SAS thought that there was this particular part of the AIA statute called 318A 
that requires that when they issue their final decision at the end of the process, that it has to address all the claims that are challenged. And in our case, they didn't do that. And so SAS was not happy about that. And during the course of the proceeding before the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, you know, we tried to get them to change their decision and address all the claims, but they, they, uh, they wouldn't have any of it. So Just an odd process. But that aside, you were confident that the SAS Institute had a case on its merits. I mean, AIA and, and Enterprise Reviews and PTAB and so forth, you had a case here, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, they, in, the, in front of the PTAB, they did institute our petition on most of the claims. And ultimately, we prevailed on those claims. Over to John Marlett for a second. Dave just mentioned that the client, the SAS Institute, was not very happy with the partial institution decision. How crucial was the client in this case? Had it been someone else rather than SAS, might have this gotten all the way to the Supreme Court? I think the short answer to that, Dave, is, is no. That had it been just about any other client, it's likely that, that we never would have made it all the way to the Supreme Court. But SAS, to their credit, felt very strong about this issue. They felt very confident that the PTAB was getting it wrong and had gotten it wrong in our case. And so they were willing to stay the course and do what it took to go through a federal circuit appeal and an en banc federal circuit petition and ultimately take the case all the way to the Supreme Court to fix what the PTAB was doing wrong in taking this partial institution approach to IPRs and other post-grant proceedings. You know, they, they stuck with us and we kept making the arguments in the IPR, while at the same time, the, the litigation was ongoing back here in Chicago. And one of the things I think that, that this important is that SAS you know, our recommendation to them and what we were ultimately able to do was to keep the district court litigation here in Chicago on hold. We got the court mm -hmm. to stay the litigation here in Chicago while the, the IPR was completed. And that bought us time to fight the issue at the PTAB and ultimately at the federal circuit and then to take it to the Supreme Court in 2017 and 2018. Whereas had we had a trial back here in Chicago in 2014 or 2015, we may have never gotten there. Greg, talk about the strategy is the matter moved from the PTAB to the Federal Circuit? Well, Dave, as Dave Cochran mentioned earlier, the PTAB had largely ruled in our favor and had held that most of the claims that we had challenged and that the PTAB had allowed uh, us to go forward on had been uh, held unpatentable. And that was good for us because these were patent claims belonging to our opponent. They couldn't assert them against us in that Illinois action. Mm -hmm. But uh, remember, we tried to get all 16 of the claims of the Complement Soft patent into the inter partes review proceeding, and the PTAB had only allowed us to challenge nine of them. Right. So there were two things we had to accomplish on the appeal, one of which was to preserve our win on most of the claims. There was, in fact, one patent claim it was that narrower claim four that uh, Dave Cochran referenced earlier, mm -hmm. where they sort of changed their mind and said, well, we instituted on one view of this, this claim, but now we think it's patentable. So we needed to preserve our win against Compliment Soft's appeal, and we did successfully do that at the Federal Circuit. We needed to turn around or get reversed the PTAB's judgment on that claim four, and we did 
do that. The Federal Circuit said that the PTAB had improperly changed their interpretation of the claim without notice to us and sent that part of the case back. And then the final part was the part that we're all here talking about today, and that is the failure of the PTAB to take up those other seven patent claims. So exactly how did you present your argument? So we put forth a pretty powerful argument and the statute, words matter, and the words of the statute are especially important. The statute says the board shall, and here I'm quoting the statute, shall issue a final written decision mm-hmm. with respect to any, and the word any is in there, right. patent claim challenged by the petitioner. It's a shall, it's not a may, mm-hmm. and it says challenged by the petitioner. That means we choose, not them. And it says any patent claim, and in that context, any means every. Hey, back to Dave Cochran for a second. A decision by a different federal circuit about a month after John had argued the SAS matter, that was Synopsis v. Mentographics, didn't make the prospects any better for your situation. Talk about that decision and the Chevron Doctrine. At the same time our case was pending at the federal circuit, there was, a, there was another case, you mentioned the Synopsis case, it was, it was a little bit ahead of ours. And unfortunately, just shortly after John Marlott argued our case at the Federal Circuit, this other Federal Circuit panel issued its decision in the synopsis case, which in part dealt with the same issue, whether 318A compels the PTAB to issue a final decision on all the claims, which mm-hmm. is what the statute says. And we were concerned about that case, but we thought ours was positioned a little bit better based on what we had done at the PTAB. So we pressed forward on that. And and unfortunately, when that case came out just after ours, the Federal Circuit panel there somehow found the plain language compelled the outcome, which is that they don't have to address all the claims, even though the plain language says they do have to address all the claims. Yeah, it's gymnastics, but sure. uh, But then alternatively, they said, well, look, even if there's some ambiguity here in the statute, which we don't think there was, but the Federal Circuit said, even if there is some ambiguity, that the patent office, the executive agency is within its rights to issue this regulation that's basically contrary to the statute that Greg mentioned under this Chevron doctrine, which is a a reference to a a 1984 Supreme Court case that relates to agency power versus statutory power or congressional power. And in, in the Chevron case, it basically says if the statute is silent or it's ambiguous with respect to some issue, then the court looks at what the agency's doing is based on a permissible construction of the statute. But they only go there after you determine that uh, Congress was either silent on a particular subject or that there was some ambiguity. And of course, our view was that the Chevron shouldn't even apply here because there was no ambiguity, that the statute was clear in its face, and so that shouldn't apply. Unfortunately, this panel of the Federal Circuit went that way in synopsis. Right. And um, so then when they, when they got to our case, which was later in time, they basically followed the same path. Right. Things are not looking good. It's third and long. John, what's the client ask you to do? So SAS, again, with the courage of his convictions, SAS instructed us to take a run at a petition for en banc rehearing to ask the entire federal circuit, the full federal circuit, to look at this issue. And, you know, SAS was insistent that, that the PTAB and the federal circuit we're reading the statute incorrectly, at least the two panels of the Federal Circuit that had looked at it. We did have dissenting opinions, very vigorous dissents, both in the Synopsis Mentor case and then also in our case by Judge Newman. Okay. Uh, and Judge Newman agreed with us that, that the plain language of the statute said just the opposite of what the panels had held. 
And so Sasser's instructions to us were to prepare a, a petition to ask the Federal Circuit for en banc rehearing and to see if we could get the attention of the full court and that it was important to the long-term functioning of the America Invents Act and the PTAB to get this right now and that we might be the last party to have a chance to, to challenge this issue before it became settled federal circuit law. Gutsy, gutsy move. Greg, tell us about that petition. What went into that? So as John just mentioned, we probably were the last chance for the federal circuit or even the Supreme Court to take up this issue because the synopsis case had been decided first. It had been decided by a panel of the federal circuit. The rule is that panel decisions of a court of appeals are the law of the circuit, so the later panels have to follow them. The only exception to that is if the earlier panel decision is overruled by an in-bank court or by the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. So we put forth what I think was a pretty simple and elegant petition. Three points. One, as I said before, the statute is clear. It says shall. It says any patent claim. It says challenged by the petitioner. Mm -hmm. So that means you shall decide them. You shall decide all of them. And all of them is based on what we decide all of them is, not what the PTAB says all of them is at the institution stage. Our second argument was that the statute's so clear that Chevron does not help the board to justify its practice. What we also underscored, and this is really important both for in-bank cases and for Supreme Court cases, that our case was an ideal vehicle, an ideal case for deciding these issues. It presented a pure question of law. As Dave has remarked earlier, we had raised this issue at every stage of the proceedings. And finally, we were the last clear chance. If the court didn't take this issue up, it was going to become locked in and locked in permanently as federal circuit law. So we filed our petition in July. Time went on and on and on. So we were really feeling like there must be something going on. The judges may be discussing this. Maybe they're seriously considering taking on the issue. And then on Monday, November 7th, we got word that the court had denied our mm. petition for rehearing. But as with the synopsis case, as with our panel decision, Judge Newman had written a third dissenting opinion. But unfortunately, she was the only dissenter. So we had basically an 11 to 1 vote. 11 to 1. Judges, 11 to 1. You thought things were bad before. 11 to 1. Unreal. John, what's the client say now? Are they ready to quit or no? Well, you would think at this point that, that Sass was, would have been ready to surrender, but they were not. And that's when we began talking to them about taking it to a higher authority and the prospect of potentially you know, asking the Supreme Court to review this issue. And Look, I mean, many people thought that at the time that we were tilting at windmills, you know, why on earth would the Supreme Court take a procedural PTAB issue like this, not an important enough issue for them? And also at the time, the patent bar had sort of gotten used to how the PTAB was conducting these proceedings. They'd been doing it four years, five years at this point. And right. so everyone was sort of used to this partial institution approach and everyone in the patent bar had sort of gotten comfortable with it. But again, when you go back and read the literal words of the statute, they were doing it wrong and had been doing it wrong all along. Back to Greg for a second. This is about the time when you started to think that maybe this could have implications beyond patent law. Explain how you came around to that conclusion. Well, I'll remind you that the, the petition for rehearing in bank was denied on November 7th, 
2016, and that was a Monday. The day after was Election Day in the United States, and one of the things that the president, when he was campaigning, had done during his campaign was to issue a list of potential candidates for the open Supreme Court seat previously held by Justice Scalia. And one of the judges who was on that list had, in August of 2016, issued an opinion as well as a separate concurring opinion from his own opinion in a Tenth Circuit immigration case. That Tenth Circuit judge was Neil Gorsuch. Ah, I know that name. And he had raised an issue in this immigration case about whether the Chevron Doctrine had become a little bit to use a colloquial term, too big for its britches. Mm-hmm. And it allowed the executive branch, which of course is where the patent office sits and where administrative agencies sit, had Chevron allowed the executive branch to swallow too much of the legislative power? And that's been a debate of some sort since the Chevron decision came down in 1984, but no one had really phrased it quite as uh, then Judge Gorsuch had. And is I'm putting these things together and thinking about the election results and who is eventually going to get nominated to this Supreme Court seat, I kept coming back to that opinion by Judge Gorsuch. And then I thought, well, isn't that our case? Isn't that the whole point of the agency passing a regulation about institutions that allows it to effectively rewrite the statute in a way that Congress never intended? Well, talk about what specifically, in Gorsuch's opinion, would help this case. Gorsuch said in the Tenth Circuit case that Chevron permits executive bureaucracies to swallow huge amounts of core judicial and legislative power and concentrate federal power in a way that seems more than a little difficult to square with the constitution of the framers' design. And I thought, boy, that sounds like the sort of theme we were trying to hit in our in bank petition. Yes. So that really informed in a lot of ways the way that we framed our petition for certiorari in this case. And we made a case, again, based on the language of the statute, as well as the fact that Chevron doesn't help at all. But we embraced Judge Gorsuch. In fact, we cited that Tenth Circuit decision in our petition and pointed out that what was happening And what was the concern of Judge Gorsuch, who, by the way, is not, when we're preparing our petition for certiorari, is not yet on the court, hasn't been nominated yet. But we do figure, well, if it's not going to be him, it's going to be somebody like him who gets nominated to the court. And we said that the board's approach here raises serious separation of powers concerns. We file our petition on January 31st, 2017. Now, I point this date out to you because as soon as I left the office being comforted that the petition had been printed and was on its way over to the Supreme Court to be filed, I went home and turned on the television to see the announcement of the nomination of one Judge Neil Gorsuch to be the next Associate Justice of the uh, Supreme Court. That's a good sign. If you believe in omens, then we thought, well, this might be some sort of good omen for us. But John, interestingly, a Justice Department filing challenging an interparties review case came into play here, didn't it? It did. And, you know, Greg's framing of the issues in the petition for certiorari, I think, were brilliant. And to broaden it out, to make it more than just a patent case, was really a brilliant framing of the issues. And then the government gave us a little bit of help on the merits. Because while we were in the process of preparing the petition to the Supreme Court, I had noticed that 
the Justice Department in an inter partes review in which they were the petitioner. So someone was making a patent claim against the government and the Justice Department had filed an inter partes review and was challenging the patent. So they were the petitioner. They were in SAS's shoes in an inter partes review. Uh. And they had gotten one of these partial institution decisions from the PTAB and were making arguments that that was the wrong approach. In fact, the Justice Department took the position, and I'll, you know, they said, by picking and choosing some but not all of the challenge claims in this decision, the PTAB has undermined the congressional efficiency goal and increased the workload of both parties who are now forced to litigate validity between two forums, which is just what we had been saying all along. In fact, they said it very well, and we put that into the petition. I got it to Greg. We put that into the petition, and I was pleased if we fast forward to the end of this story, to see that Justice Gorsuch included that in his opinion, ultimately. Well, you know, you can kind of see the clouds parting a little bit here, like maybe better things are coming for the client. Uh, Dave, how did you learn that the court had agreed to hear the matter? Yeah, so a couple months after the, the petition was filed, we were starting to get a little anxious. And we, we knew that our case had been set for conference where the justices discussed whether or not to grant or deny a set of petitions on uh, May 11th of 2017. So we knew they were going to be talking about our case on that date. And then the following Monday, there wasn't either a grant or a denial of our petition. And so we were, at least most of us, were kind of perplexed. Greg, being an appellate specialist and expert, knew that this happens sometimes where they don't issue a grant or a denial, but they do this relisting process and that that's actually a good sign that they're really thinking about your petition. And he was right. So the following Monday, on May 22nd of 2017, the certiorari petition was granted in our case, which, of course, we were ecstatic about. And then, yeah. and then a couple of weeks later, the Supreme Court also granted certiorari in another PTAP case that's called Oil States. That case was challenging whether the entire process was constitutional, the whole inter partes review. And so you have the situation where two cases, two cert petitions about the Patent Trial and Appeal Board had been set for briefing and argument at the Supreme Court. John, November 30th, 2017, there you guys are with the Oil States case also. You said at one point it felt like patent day at the Supreme Court. What was that like? It definitely was patent day at the Supreme Court. So those were the only two cases argued that day, right? So as Dave mentioned, oil states, which was dealing with whether or not the entire scheme, the entire PTAB process was constitutional. And then there was the SAS case and our challenge to the PTAB's procedural handling of these post-grant review proceedings. And I mean, it, it was electric. It was a real thrill to be, to be there that day. The courtroom was just absolutely packed. There were all the patent office officials and the PTAB judges. There were patent lawyers and press from around the country, all you know, really enthused about the court hearing these two very important patent cases. Then when Greg got up to argue our case, it was really just fascinating and, again, a thrill to hear the justices asking questions about these issues that we'd been living and breathing for the last four to five years. Yeah, for years, for years. Greg, talk about how the argument went and how you felt afterward. Dave, I've had the privilege now of arguing five cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, which is four more than my life's ambition ever was. 
But the fifth time is as fun as the first time. In some ways, it's just another appellate argument, and then in other ways, it's really not. Uh, you're in this massive, high-ceilinged courtroom, the pageantry of it all, the national attention that comes with it. And somehow or another, you still have to go through the process of actually delivering an argument that will hopefully gain you or at least hold five votes for your position. One thing that I do remember from the argument is not something that came up during my argument, but was a follow-up from Justice Kennedy to my opponent from the Solicitor General's office. Justice Kennedy had asked me a question about what might happen if the patent office said, well, you can either proceed on a few of the claims or you can just go to district court and litigate the invalidity of those claims in district court. And I suggested that I think we would be fine with that because the whole point is that we want one forum or another to decide the patentability issues that are before the PTAB. And if we can't get them all decided, then we might prefer to go to district court and have that decided there. So he put roughly the same question to my opponent from the government. And my opponent said, well, that's exactly what we're doing here. And then Justice Kennedy interrupted him and said, but then that means we can rule against you and, and there's no real problem here. <laughs> and, and that was something that I walked away from the argument with. And that right, question right. allowed us to leave with some good feeling about the case. Well, those feelings were right. The court ruled on April 24th that Seth's interpretation had been correct. So congratulations, gentlemen. A little belated, but congratulations. Let's go around the horn. What does this mean for patent law? And also, what are the implications for government agency overreach? Let's go to John first. So for patent law, I think we're still seeing how this is all going to play out. Obviously, at the PTAB, most directly affected, it's caused them to really make some swift and drastic changes to how they're doing things. Not only with respect to new petitions that are being filed, but they've had to deal with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of post-grant proceedings that were already in process in which they had partially instituted, and they have to figure out how to fix that. And so they've been triaging those and dealing with them on a case-by-case -case basis. It's causing the same kinds of headaches and requiring the federal circuit to sort out how they're handling the appeals of PTAB proceedings that had been partially instituted, whether or not to just go ahead and decide those cases, whether to remand them to the PTAB. I saw a recent case where the Federal Circuit did a little bit of both. And so there are major ramifications for how these proceedings, the ones that are already in process and the ones that will be filed in coming days, how they'll actually be handled. Time will tell. Dave Cochran, what's your takeaway from this? I think overall, this is going to end up having a positive impact on the quality of petitions that people file. Okay. I don't think it's going to create a, a lot more work for the PTAB, which is what they were concerned about. I think it's going to make the petition process more streamlined. And I think ultimately people will look back on this and they'll say, you know what, that was actually a good thing overall for both petitioners, for patent owners, and for the PTAB that we were now able to streamline and focus our petitions. But for the longer term impact of this case, which I think is the more important part of this case, and its impact on agency overreach and the balance of power between the executive branch agencies and a congressional statute. I think that's where our case is going to have more impact, and I'll uh, let Greg comment on that more fully. But um, I think the legacy of our case could be less about patent law 
and more about how we ultimately styled our petition to focus on this interplay between the agency and the Congress. Greg, wrap us up. I do think that our case is going to end up being a cornerstone of a, if not a a complete overruling of Chevron in the future, certainly a narrowing, a whittling, a confining of Chevron to where it really is essential, and that is where Congress really intends for an agency to fill some gaps in a statute or to administer a particular regime in the way that the agency rather than Congress has decided is the right way to do it. The government, interestingly, in opposing our petition for certiorari, made an argument that they hadn't made before. They actually argued that because that Quazo case that I mentioned earlier and because of a section of the America Invents Act that says that decisions on institution are not reviewable, They said that our case was not reviewable because we were really challenging the institution decision and not the content of the final written decision. And so that allowed us to have a little fun in the reply brief in support of certiorari, where we were able to say, you know, here's the government now not only blessing executive overreach and basically allowing the executive branch to overrule Congress, but now they're telling you, justices, you, the Article Three federal judiciary, that you don't even have the power to review them. This is the administrative state run amok. And I think that decision on their part and the way that we were able to take advantage of it had a pretty significant impact on the outcome of the case. And our decision's already been cited by the Supreme Court in a later case where they've also punted down the road to another day the question of whether uh, Chevron in its current form really can stand. Well, wow, that didn't uh, take I long. Think the tea leaves are uh, the tea leaves are there that uh, Chevron cannot be allowed the sort of sway that it has has had in the last thirty five years or so to allow the uh, administrative state to be so active and so aggressive. Well said and very important, Greg. Thanks and thanks to Dave and John too. Gentlemen, well done. Congratulations again on what was truly outstanding representation. We're going to be talking about this matter for a long, long time around here. For information on the intellectual property or the issues and appeals practice at Jones Day, visit jonesday.com and click through to the practice overview pages. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review. Thanks again for listening to Jones Day Talks. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.